Everybody and welcome to the 389th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's always on a new adventure to find you all the best in cardboard value. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into everything that happened this week. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, how was your weekend? Oh, it's, you know, been pretty good, especially compared to others. I started teaching school last week, so that was fun, but, you know, I'm, I'm worried about folks, they like to have the worst fire in American history in like a hundred years. So, you know, that's, that's been really on my mind. I was hoping to go, I'm going to Hawaii later this year. So. Yeah, that's completely crazy. I've spent time on the West side of Maui on several occasions. And, uh, it's just wild to think of that historic location being completely just gone. I've, I've played magic on Maui. And so it's a, a big deal to think about all the, the, stuff that's going on and like people just abandoning their cars and whatnot it was wild wild photos to see yeah hearts and prayers to all of those people and i i mean there's been fires all over canada this year as well so i mean it's it's getting worse and worse and i wish everybody the best that's affected uh let's move on here into what's on our agenda for this week uh what do you got for us well, we're going to lead off with the Week in Review. We're going to talk Modern. We're going to talk Pioneer. We're going to go on to the top paper movers this week where the Commander Masters commanders are really making an imp- impact on prices. we got our top movers online after that. You and I have some cards to watch, uh, some excellent picks this week, honestly. And then th- we're going to talk about the rest of the Magic the Gathering schedule through 2026, right? We've got all kinds of stuff. For all, for some stuff in 2026 anyway. And also we're going to talk about leaked cards. We're going to do that at the very end. So if you hate spoilers, we'll tell you when to stop. Jumping off into the metagame week in review, we'll kick off with the Modern Showcase Challenge. I believe it was this past Saturday. Uh, first place there was Hammer Time, a deck that didn't do particularly well at the Pro Tour, but is back on top this week. Blue-Red Merktide in second, rocking the full four possible... Freshly possible copies of Preordain, three copies of Living End, uh, sorry, third place was Living End, Black Red Scam in fourth and fifth, we have Green Tron in sixth, Jund in seventh, and Shardless Rhinos in eighth with the full four Lorien revealed. Hammer Time didn't seem to do well at the Pro Tour. People were more ready for it, I suppose, and in a wider thing going on like Magic Online, You'll see Hammer Time just, you know, dome people up out of nowhere. But Scam is still really good. Merktide, of course, is going to run their full set of Preordain. And then Scam is, you know, it's Scam is Scam. Shardless Rhinos uh, loves Lorien Revealed. 
Your commander deck loves Lorien Revealed. If you haven't tried that yet, you really should. Jund in here sneaking into the top eight with four copies of Bowmasters is pretty cool. And uh, I would I would say that Hammer Time's biggest problem is that it's living in a Bowmasters world, right? There's a lot of one ones in that deck that can where you can flash in a Bowmasters in response to an equip and set them back a turn, which uh, is is not the the best place for them to be. But this when you see a deck like this that might only be forty five percent against the field in the hands of the pros take down an, a, a showcase challenge, it's usually indicative of the fact that the pilot in question has a lot of reps in with the deck and has a higher percentage against people who might have been picking up something that they weren't as practiced with. I'm wondering... Yeah, Giver of Runes is a 1-2. A Ginger Brute does hate the sight of a Bowmaster. Pierster Paladin's got two. There's not a, a lot of X1s, but it is cut down. You can't do any uh, of the super cheap things to run anymore. I'd like to... Com- I need to go back and look at some different Hammer Time lists from previous years. Moving on over to the Pioneer Challenge from this weekend, we had a fairly standard top eight for this format of recent uh, months. Black-red midrange in first, black-red sacrifice in second, lotus field combo in third, blue-red arc light in fourth, mono-green in fifth, blue-white control in sixth, blue-red arc light in seventh, and green-red midrange in eighth, kind of giving almost equal representation to pretty much every major archetype in this format. People were afraid Lotus Field was going to get the ban this past uh, banned and restricted announcement, but uh, there it is showing up, and it's a complicated as hell thing to play, but if you can make it rock, then you can make it rock. I get, I get that people don't like playing against decks like this, but we've monitored top eights of this format for years, and I've never seen Lotus Field in a dominant position that would justify any ban to the deck. Yeah, it's good, but it's beatable. Just like yep. most of the decks are. It also, it's also one of those decks that can self-fail with the wrong draw. You really or, can. Or a mistake made under pressure. Uh, moving on over to segment two, top paper movers of the week. All sorts of action, largely related to uh, recent trends in EDH. We've got Lorien Revealed kicking things off on the back of mostly constant modern and legacy usage, although it also sees play in EDH because as we've harped on a few times, it can go get Trilands and Duels. It uh, went three dollars to four twenty-five just in in uh, non-foil. That's a common. That's a common man at at four bucks. So there, there's almost certainly a buy list out if you cracked L- LTR product. Ulamog the Infinite Geyer borderless out of Double Masters twenty twenty-two last year twenty-three to forty over the last couple of weeks seventy-four percent gains on the back of Zuladoc and Tron. Uh, oh no, I guess Tron doesn't run uh, Infinite Geyer. They run Ceaseless Hunger. Right. So that's going to be Zuladoc driving that trend. We've also got Taunt the Rampart, a really good goad card uh, that I, I tested the first week it was announced, I believe, and it almost immediately did work because it just gives you so much value against the table for, for that casting cost. Not particularly surprised to see it going 250 to $5 here uh, as players pick up on the fact that this is indeed a very solid card for EDH purposes that is probably isn't going to catch a reprint anytime soon, given the the policies on the Lord of the Rings set, unless it gets printed into the uh, December product, which seems unlikely given that it's an LTC and not an LTR card. Those, those are the cards from the Lord of the Rings release that I think might have the best chance of resisting the imminent reprint. I would not be shocked if we saw this card... Uh 
be on the list again in a month or two and we saw it finally creep up to ten dollars or so it just feels so unfairly good you just watch the entire table just smash each other to bits everything is goaded nothing can block you are completely safe from the cycle of violence that's about to happen to your table and it leaves them all, after they've attacked each other, they're left wide open to your final yeah, swing. only whatever they played that turn is back to block. So it's brilliant right. all around. Then we've got uh, Ugin the Spirit Dragon, M21 copies over the last few weeks, up 15 to $30. That's going to be Zuladoc as well. Tron doesn't really run that card these days either. Uh, but it certainly does a ton of work in Zuladoc, where you often need to find one of the four or five cards in the deck that can get rid of all the uh, colored permanents. And it's been good every time I've cast it. It usually wipes and then something kills it, which is totally fine. That's kind of the, the rule of the card. And it's nice to see this Banner Mythic from M21 finally seeing a bit of a rebound. We've also got the first Sliver. That's an MH1 uh, copy, I believe, going 24 to $55 over the last few weeks on the back of the Sliver's deck being pushed into EDH. We also have Calyx Guided by Faith. This is a Aftermath uh, showcase card, and I don't think we're talking about the the Halo foil. We're just talking about uh, showcase foils going 6 to 14 on the back of Anakthea being a, a relatively popular general right now uh, from one of the Commander Masters decks. Yeah, the Halo foils are going for around 40-ish, so we're, we're only talking about the more regular copies there's a cut there's the the showcase and there is an fea there's also the etched so there's a lot going on with aftermath stuff you've got your choice of stuff but they're all up in this price range now we also talked about that wild legacy deck uh, that was using all of the depletion lands and i said hey that'd be great if all of those those foils were suddenly worth money and here we have an example hickory woodlot a week later foils 12 to 28 I think those are single printing, if I'm not mistaken, in foil. Right, that's Mercadian masks for those of you keeping count. I believe 1999. It, it's a single printing period. Yeah. They, they never went, never put these in a commander deck or anything. It's never been on the list. They're just single, single printing, which is extremely rare from that era. And so, yeah, these foils are basically drained out just on the back of the hype from that one-time top eight legacy deck. And we've just got three copies listed at about 30 bucks. So I guess I have to go dig these out and list them as a set now. <laughs> you have some laying around from the Super Collection? Yeah, exactly. Nice. So I've got Creative Technique Extended Arts. We talked about that deck as well last week, going 4 to $10. That's uh, on the back of that Legacy deck. We've got Raito Lantern out of Champions of Kamigawa, the original Kamigawa set. Foils going 6 to 15 That's 150% on the back of the Doctor Who specking surrounding the Doctor that, that interacts with the bottom of your library. And then we have Urza's Workshop Extended Arts from Brothers War Commander, but it's actually Brothers War collector boosters that you would find those extended arts in going 450 to 14 dollars that's going to be zuladoc as well at the top of the top of the heap this week we have lucky clover foils i looked at i had a cart of these uh in hand when the spoiler the uh leaks broke at the start of the weekend at like a dollar 25 a piece and i was like you know what i can't be bothered <laughs> sure to go after them i'll leave them i'll leave them for somebody else and sure enough somebody else push them up from a dollar to ten dollars on the back of there being a pretty decent looking adventure commander revealed for wilds of eldraine which we'll talk about in a little bit 
Uh, Lucky Clover has has gone up and down a couple times, if I remember correctly, hasn't it? Uh, I think because there was a standard deck. That's right. There was a standard deck that was all about it. Yeah. Do you... I mean, we we know there's going to be some adventures going on, and do you think it's possible that Lucky Clover doesn't get reprinted? Yep, definitely. Wow. I, I think they could easily skip it, or it could end up in an adventure-themed commander deck. I think it Actually, is. we know that one of them is Blue-Black Fairies. What's the other deck that's announced? It's I think it's Green-White Counters, if I remember the product art correctly. Okay. So then, so if there's not an adventures deck and it's just leaning on the commander that they revealed in teamer colors, then L- Lucky Clover's already on the list, so they might think they're covered. Right. But it's not surprising at all that foils are sitting close to $10 and may well end up in the mid-teens on the back of people trying to build that deck if they think it, if it catches their fancy. I'm not convinced that there's enough adventures, even with the new set. To make that deck particularly good. That doesn't stop people. You know that. Sometimes It does, though, kind of. Because if you put the deck together and, it, and it's not functioning at a you know re- reasonably high level, then you may just take it apart again without ever tricking it out. So the product art for the commander set says, Virtue and Valor, buff your creatures, crush your foes. It's in green-white. Yeah, that doesn't sound like the, the, the colors for adventures, but... I guess we'll see. Seems unlikely. Moving over to the top Magic Online movers of the week, we have Spire Bluff Canal uh, out of Kaladesh going 4.35 to 7.84 ticks. I looked at this hard trying to figure out if these foils are a spec again yet, but they're sitting around $30 for foils. It's never caught a reprint, and that does seem like it will be sort of inevitable, but I wouldn't expect... There's nothing obvious where these are going to catch a reprint this year because... Modern Horizons 3 next summer presumably must have the allied fetches. That that seems quite likely, yes. I mean, it could be not true, but I don't see why they would go after the Spire Buff Canal cycle in that set as an alternative. So I would imagine that this has room to grow, but there's still... Kaladesh was very, very heavily opened because that's where Masterpiece and Vengeance come from. People chased those pretty hard. Standard was at a peak. People were opening a lot of boxes at that point and so you can still find regular copies sitting around in relatively deep inventory on you know the major vendor sites and platforms so you know it's not tremendously surprising to see the economics work out differently on magic online where there's no you know that buildup of inventory isn't isn't the same and this is played in murktide in modern living end in modern creativity combo and blue red arc light and pioneer so it's it sees plenty of play but it's still a ways off in paper from draining out yeah i i'm inclined to agree with you that the risk of the reprint is just a question of when not if and we don't know if we're going to get secret lair fast lands we don't know if we're going to get uh them added to the list one year one set randomly it, it could be anything and i would not want to be holding uh, any of the foils, uh, especially the foils at $30. You're right. I'm just taking a look at the other cards in that cycle and trying to figure out if their names prevent them from catching a relevant reprint and say something like Ixalan. I don't think so. I think all the they've done a pretty good job with most of the two-color lands that could be useful at keeping them more general. 
about things. They're not super worried about keeping the naming pure. Well, Spire Bluff Canal is pretty awkward because it's pretty specific to Kaladesh. Inspiring Vantage, Blooming Marsh, those are generic, sure. And the other two are Botanical Sanctum. That's also a little tricky. And I can't remember what the what the fifth one is, but I think you're anyway. overthinking this. I don't I don't think any of those names are as plain specific as you do. Uh, oh, it's Concealed Courtyard. Uh, is the black white one? Yeah, none of those are crazy. Like they're not like Kaladesh's main hallway. <laughs> well, Spire Bluff is very specific. That's that's describing a district with towers. I I think if this showed if they were like Spire Bluff is like towers and then flat spaces and there was a canal going through some of those mountains, then you're just like, okay, well I guess that's on Ixalan now, and people would <laughs> people would do that. Maybe. So we have uh, also on the move on Magic Online, Liliana of the Veil out of DMU, four tickets to 7.25. That's almost 80% gains there. That's largely on the back standard play since it was reprinted into that format a year ago. Sarah Paragon, likewise, is doing some work in standard in white decks, and it is 2.72 ticks to 5.1. That's 89% gains. Both of these cards coming up on their uh, one-year anniversary. We also have Expressive Iteration uh, out of the... This is the retro frame version out of Brothers War Commander, which I guess was probably treasure chest only on Magic Online, I would imagine. Yeah, they don't really do Commander sets online. So it's 2.97 ticks to 6.19, 108% gains on the back of... I'm assuming just drained out supply from people picking up playsets since they were releasing the treasure chest, or maybe there was a shift in the drop rate in there. And of course, the only format of note where this card is uh, largely relevant and not banned is modern. So that's where that demand comes from. Yeah, it's banned in Pioneer and Legacy. So you're only going to get to play it in modern. Moving on over to cards to watch. I've been playing a lot of Zuladoc lately, so I've been taking a look at some cards that haven't moved yet and might have some potential to get there given enough time. One of the cards I really like in this deck is Flare of Loyalties, which is one of the new cards that's in the Zuladoc deck itself. And I'm looking at the extended art non-foil version of the card. It is 8 and 2 colorless to play for a 10-10 Aldrazi. When you cast the spell, you gain control of target creature until end of turn. You untap that creature until end of turn. It has base power and toughness 10-10, gains trample, annihilator 2, and haste. And Flare of Loyalties itself has trample and annihilator 2. couple of things that are very nice about this. First of all, they cannot counter that steal effect. Right, that's a cast. I like it. Which is st- standard for expensive Eldrazi. Uh... And while Flayer can't attack right away, the creature you steal certainly can. And unlike other situations where when you threaten a creature of your opponent's, you really want to be able to sacrifice it, that's nice here. And you will have a couple ways in the deck to make that happen. But it's not essential when you're turning it into a 10-10 with Trample, Annihilator 2, and Haste. It's almost like you, you remove a blocker and then replace it with a completely different creature. And heaven forbid the creature you steal has a bunch of on-attack abilities of its own. <laughs> like you, you steal a Goto Bandit Warlord or one of the other red creatures that is inter, interacts with extra, extra combat phases or something, and things are going to get silly in a hurry. Flayer has really cool art. Of course, this is the first time it's been printed. It's in Commander Masters uh, collector booster packs. You're not going to... Uh, see these reprinted anytime soon 
And the thing is that it's not just Zuladoc doing well that that gives me hope for these related cards. There's also art that was shown off for Modern Horizons 3 that showed off the Titans. So Emrakul, uh, Kozilek, and Ulamog. And it's possible that those are just reprints of those cards. It's also possible those are brand new versions of the Titans. And if it's brand new versions of the Titans and they can potentially contribute to Zuladoc or be an even better colorless commander, then you could easily see other Eldrazi get another bump next summer. I can't argue with any of that. I do want to know why you're picking the extended art non-foils. Why don't you want to go for uh, full FEA versions? Foil extended art is also worth a look. As, as per usual, that is usually my standard. Part of it is wanting to pick a, a few more non-foils for the folks that are so inclined. The The other part is that I, I haven't triple-checked the breakdown of the collector booster packs, but extended arts I don't think are any less rare than the foils in that particular formulation. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, let me look that up while you talk for a moment while I look up my comprehensive collection of relative rarities. Fair enough. Looking at the relative... Uh, number of copies on TCG Player. Foil extended arts are down to 26 listings at about $13, and these are 76 listings at $5. But as we've talked about many times in the Discord, it's easier to go 5 to 20 than it is to go 13 to 52 or whatever. Right. So it looks like the the play could be on $5 copies. If there if there was if they were like 13 for foils and 11 for non-foils, I probably would have leaned towards foils just because they could drain faster. So for the relative drop rate, it's about four times rarer to get a foil extended art than it is a non-foil extended art in terms of the booster packs, the, co- the collector okay. boosters. It's about one in, one in 40 to get a non-foil EA copy and one in 157 to get a foil extended art. Which is, which is pretty close to the 3 to 1 ratio you see on TCG Player in terms of inventory. So it's, it's not accurate to say that they are close to each other in rarity. Uh, but the rest of what I said is true. Okay. I'm with you. This is a, it's a great card, and you're right that uh, we'll have to put down a fun little bet at some point about whether they're going to give us the next printing of all three known Titans or if we get new versions of each, which would be amazeballs. I, th- I don't think they could give us new ones, but we'll see. We'll talk about it more later. All right. What's your first? Uh, my first pick is, I believe, my very first Europe arbitrage pick on this cast. Uh, you can find Sanctum of Ugin in Europe for about half the price you can find foil copies of Sanctum of Ugin here in the U.S. They're going for around 5 to 6 euro on card market. And there's one or two other places I imagine you could look, but that's the easiest one to check. The foils are already like $10, $12 here in the U.S. for the Battle for Zendikar Rare that has not had a reprint. It's pretty darn amazing if you haven't played it in your Zuladoc deck. I don't think it wasn't in the Commander deck, so it's there for folks to get. And if you have the hookup to get one in Europe, then you can save yourself uh, half the price and move it over because I don't want to pick foil sanctum of ugins to go you know 12 to 25 or whatever right now but if you can pick them up for six or seven dollars right now that's a winner yeah if you're playing zuladoc and you have zuladoc on the table and they don't kill it and then you untap with 
you know, seven to 12 mana and something like Sanctum on the table, then that next spell you cast is going to have Cascade, Cascade, and go get, <laughs> let you get another Eldrazi and put it in your hand. That's pretty absurd. So you could go Flare of Loyalties into Bane of Balaged and Artisan of Kozilek, and then go get Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger to stash in your hand for later. I mean, James, this is a family podcast. I need you to stop talking such beautifully dirty things. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. I mean, with as with all things in Europe, you got to make sure that when you add in the shipping costs, that it's still going to work out. I tend to try to get either more expensive things in Europe these days or stuff where I can get a lot of copies from the same vendor. Because if, you, if you're trying to get a $10 card for 5 bucks, but shipping is 5 bucks, then sure. the, advan- the advantage just t- disappears. So people need to double check that and you can do that by logging in on card market and checking shipping when you add things to your cart uh moving on to my next zuladoc pick since that seems to be our our theme for the week <laughs> i'm looking at forsaken monument and this time i will talk foils instead of regular extended art uh which was a pick of yours way back when on cast uh, i think you said it was like 60 weeks ago or episode something. 329 exactly 60 weeks ago there you go. And your, your pick at the time has gotten part of the way there, and I think that it's worth flagging again here uh, since it's likely to get the rest of the way. We're down to 22 listings on the Foil Extended Arts. They're at about 14 or $15. It's a relatively shallow ramp for the next 10 or 15 copies, and then it's going to start moving up into the 20 to 30 range. And the thing about this card is, unlike Tron, which I don't think is essential in Zuladoc, like you're going to put it in there, but it's not going to do all that much work. When you cast Forsaken Monument on turn four or five in this deck, they have to respond immediately or things get bad for them in a hurry. Because all your colorless creatures, and that's all you have, get plus two, plus two. But most importantly, whenever you tap a permanent for colorless, you add an additional colorless. All of your lands make colorless in this deck because they have to. So you're basically doubling your mana production for five mana. And then whenever you cast a colorless spell, you gain two life. And that includes the cascades you're getting off of Zuladoc. So if you have Forsaken Monument and Zuladoc in play, you're going to cast three spells in a turn, gain six life. All of those creatures that you put into play are plus two, plus two. As I said, it gets out of control in a hurry. This is a should be a 100% inclusion rate in Zuladoc. Well, it was in the deck, wasn't it? Well, I mean, certainly Foil Extended Art is not. Right, but the the basic copies were in there, and the it's still growing even though the card was in there. Uh, yeah, it's in Commander Masters. Yeah, so it's in the uh, in the actual set. It doesn't have uh, extra ones. Regular copies that were in the deck are three bucks. Right, but the the obvious upgrade is the foil extenders, and they look hot. They they do all the hot things. It's Cage Sun, only one mana cheaper and works even better because you gain the life and you get plus two instead of plus one. I mean, I I love the pick. Like I said, I picked it a year ago at to go something like 12 to 30. So you calling it to go uh, this bump of 15 to 25, I'm, I'm totally in on and I approve highly. And since Zuladoc rose to, you know, into the, the top Commander Masters commander, these are selling at about a copy a day, which is about what I expect for a premium of this type. And I would I would imagine it will be one to three copies a day for the foreseeable future for the next you know four weeks or so as people are building out that deck. And there just aren't, you know, given that we're at 22 listings and nobody has any deep reservoirs until $25, 
seems very likely that it's going to get pushed up into the mid-high 20s. It also, given that they just reprinted it in the deck in a non-foil, there's almost zero chance you're going to see it anywhere else. The only real shot would be for them to double tap it as a secret layer. But we have no reason to believe that there's an Eldrazi-themed secret layer coming if they didn't drop one alongside Commander Masters. I'm with you on this all the way. I, I agree 100%. Because they, they gave us another Eldrazi that had Reality Smasher and some other stuff in it earlier this spring, right? Right. And it just, it, it's all marvelous. It's all gravy, especially with this Power Stone. And it'll work for if, for some reason, like, a, what's the, the Manifest Commander or something gets there? This goes right into that, too. Your Morph Commander. <laughs> also true. All right, what about your for your final selection here? My other pick this week is the Mana Rock that also needs an upgrade, and it's a currently cheap upgrade. Uh, every every other week or so, we see a Surge Foil pop up on our radar. Well, I'm calling Worn Power Stone to be that Surge Foil that pops up sometime soon. Right now, you can get Surge Foils for around 2 bucks. And there's a couple of vendors with big walls of 11 copies, 11 copies, 23 copies of Surge Foil, Worn Power Stone. But once those are gone, those are going to be gone. The Surge Foil's cool. It's a cool piece of art. It's an amazing mana rock. No, it's three mana, and it comes into play tapped. It gives you two colorless. So you're. I mean, it's a bad. It's a bad Soul Ring, but it's still a. Yes. <laughs> okay. Right listen. In. Listen. If Soul Ring. Like everything is a bad soul ring, James. I don't know what you want from me on this. Uh, especially since you play Voltaic Key and Manifold Key typically alongside this mana base, and so you can often untap this the turn you play it. All right. there's That is absolutely what you do when you want to get even more degenerate. I approve highly. So, you know, Surge Foils, like I said, we've seen them pop up pretty regularly. Currently, there are 32 vendors who have onesie twosie here and there, and then three vendors with big walls. I don't think those walls will last very long, and once they do, this should probably pop up to around the $7 range. It's already in 82,000 decks on EDHREC before we even get to Zula, Zula, before Zuladoc even got popular. It's been popular, so this is a pretty great version you can get for a pretty cheap price. I think there's a Warren Powerstone Japanese media insert promo that probably came in a manga. I'm just trying to track it down because I can't picture it off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't. I saw that in the the listing of potential copies, and I I didn't know where it was from, and so I I wasn't going to sweat it. If there was like a retro foil or something, I'd be all over that. But no, it's a modern frame foil. Right. So it, it's interesting. There's there's they've reused the original art from this. Uh, for this from uh, Urza Saga for ages. There's only two alternate arts. One is the Surge Foil that you're calling here, which I think is fine. Uh, I think my preferred is the one from the Lord of the Rings Commander uh, with like the bluish-purple orb on it or whatever. But that one doesn't have a foil either. So arguably the only premium version of Worn Power Stone is the Surge Foil. Again, this is... There's a foil in uh, Eternal Masters or Iconic Masters, one or the other. Yeah, but it's just the, it's just the same art. It's just the same, it's yeah. It's just the original art. So, I mean, in terms of a true premium with different art or a different border treatment, this is it. Now, this is for sure a card that will show up in Secret Lair. And again, if not when. Right. Uh, or when not if, sorry. the uh, I'm still extremely tired from surfing yesterday. I, I <laughs> <laughs> I was surfing on Lake Huron for like six hours yesterday in six-foot waves, and I am absolutely mind blown so yeah you're going to get a secret layer that could interfere 
in the meantime, this is in 72% of Zuladoc decks, and it should probably be closer to 100 as well, because you absolutely need to run the, the top 6 to 8 large mana producing artifacts that you can get in the in the three to five range so that you can ramp properly you need your soul ring you need worn power stone you need Everflowing chalice dreamstone hedron basalt monolith mana vault mana crypt etc so this is always going to be right in there and surge foils have been a popular target for speculators and players all year anyway so yeah i think this is pretty solid you want to rank these picks uh i think Forsaken Monument Foil Extended Art has the best chance of getting there in the next six months or so. Sanctum of Ugin, if you can successfully pull that off from overseas, Europe, Japan, or otherwise, yeah, sure. Could also maybe find some previously priced foils in your local gaming store if they still use stickers. Yeah. Uh, Flare of Loyalties and Worn Power Stone are probably going to need some time. I would agree with that. That that does sound about right. They'll need a little more time to get there. Whereas Sanctum and Forsaken are just like now, now, now. Alrighty. Uh, so yeah, they went completely apeshit crazy last week and gave us the schedule out two and a half years. So I guess we better finish up that discussion. We had covered 2024 capping things with the Duskmorn House of Horror that will presumably release uh, November or so of 2024. And then as we move into 2025, it used to be that for like the second year out, they would give us code names, but they wouldn't tell us anything about them. Well, but apparently, <laughs> apparently they've adjusted that to long lead the hype cycle, which seems a little odd to me. I don't think they needed to do this. The news for 2024 was strong enough, given that it's a modern horizons year, but they did tell us that we have codename Tennis coming Q1 2025, which include which is apparently racing based. So think about like what's the terrible action movie series that I've never seen a single one of? Fast and the Furious. That's the one. This is like Fast and the Furious in space, as far as I can tell. And immediately that means I have zero interest in this set oh, theme. Man. Maybe maybe the least interest I've had ever in a magic set it's hard to say I, I wasn't real real fond of any of the unseries themes either but this would be up there and apparently it's gonna they're gonna race across three different planes or something the whole thing just sounds too wacky we're gonna to get some cool vehicles it's gonna have yep. cool stuff it's an excuse to just have big crashing things at crashing against each other i i don't know what to say man last week you're pooping on fallout and now you're taking a dump on fast and the furious we we need to work on your pop culture here buddy I, I, are you really you really think that i'm going to be embarrassed about not being into fast i don't and the think furious you're, as, you're as embarrassed a, but I, I need to speak up for i don't you don't need to be a film buff you need to just be like that's cool i know it's fake <laughs> like there was ones they like drive a car out of one building into another building is it real no does it look badass yes mm, that's all i really okay. care about come on man let's let's play a little nicer here uh, I and I would I wonder if they will do something like what was the mechanic in Neon Dynasty that let you where the equipment was a creature if it wasn't attached to something? Oh, um uh accessorize no, not accessorize. Um something like that. It was you could uh, equip it or Rabbit Battery Rabbit Battery was an example. Let's yeah. look that one up. It was reconfigure reconfigure i wonder i wonder if they'll have they'll use reconfigure uh 
for v- and but modify it for vehicles so that you have mods for the cars. That would be possible. They gave us a mechanic with the transformer set in Living Metal, where under certain conditions, also it's, possible, it's alive. Uh, there's there's cool things they can do with this, and we're gonna get a secret layer of like Super Mario Kart, and that's gonna be cool. I can't wait for that. Living Metal is fun in EDH if they haven't bothered to study the transformer cards too. Yeah, if it's they really good. Sweep the, if they sweep the board and it's. Uh, and it doesn't. It's not like farewell naming artifacts. If they just wrath or supreme verdict or damnation or something, they will be a little surprised to find that all your living metal robots are still sitting there after that sweeper. Surprise. Uh, so yeah, there, there's that. And then apparently after the racing set, they're going to go to Codename Ultimate, which is a return to the plane of Tarkir. So expect lots of dragon action there. Yeah. And then. And then codename Volleyball, which is a sci-fi space opera set. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on, on a wild limb here and say Rosewater has had his time. And I I find some of these personal quests to pursue certain things a little suspect. I find it very hard to believe that if you ran a survey of your average magic player and asked them, do you would you like the theme of a space opera? to be the theme of Q3 set in 2025, I bet you would get a sub-10% yes. I mean, you're assuming that what percentage of Magic players care about the story surrounding their cards, first of all? I think they very much care about theme. There's been plenty... There was complaints about Lord of the Rings, and Lord of the Rings is so adjacent to Magic lore, it's not even funny. I mean, also modern fantasy all basically borrows or begs or steals from Lord of the Rings. So if you're complaining about that, you can definitely complain about Stranger Things, which they did, Street Fighter, which they did, Fortnite, which they did, and and so on and so forth. Doctor Who, there'll be plenty of complaints around the Doctor Who release, guaranteed. Look, magic players are the reason why the the saying came up that you could fold a hundred dollar bill, put it in a magic pack, and magic players would com- would complain about how it was folded. There's always going to be complaints. They're looking for, I, I this is like the uh, showcase frames that they do. I'd rather they try new things rather than do endless remastered and revisiting. Like we've done. Oh, they they, they should new, try new things. They should ju- just realize that they could they could world build from scratch instead of just borrowing from tropes. That that is actually a possibility. There are creators that do that. Okay, I'll give you that. But they, we've when you've got a game that's had a different story every year for as many years as Magic's been around, <laughs> it is not easy. I give I granted. It is not easy. Yeah, uh, but that's why I say like when somebody has been working on project for like what twenty years, like Marrow has maybe it's time that person sidesteps and lets fresh blood call the shots because some of these like racing world and space opera just don't sound to me like they're going to help sell sets i I think people want badass they want shit to feel cool and you don't want multi you don't want death races across three worlds because you're too cool for fast and the furious come on (laughs) man Come on. Granted, the Midwestern component of our audience may well be thrilled about a Fast and the Furious magic set. Don't you dare get regional. People like Fast and the Furious all over the place. We need to move on from this movie series is what we need to do. Because 
given that we're getting Jurassic Park cards in the Ixalan set. If we get some Fast crazy. and the Furious. Yeah, yeah. You could, you yeah could, I'm there. I, I really don't want anybody tabling a Vin Diesel against me. That might just be where you might I hit my limit. You might not want people to do that, but they'll do that too. But they will. Yeah. yeah, they'll do. All right. So final set of the year in the standard realm is apparently a return to the plane of Lorwyn. It's got a code name. That doesn't really matter. So we're going to Lorwyn and going to Tarkir. We're going, doing two things I mean, they said they didn't say that the the cross plane race is in space, but it has a very sci fi feel to it anyway. Sure. So let's call it two sci fi sets: Lorwyn and Tarkir, which is not all that crazy. They did also uh, acknowledge that there's going to be Innistrad remastered in 2025, so at least the remastered is taking off a year here. Uh, I'm already concerned that remastered sets are probably the premium set that should be cut from the schedule, and they don't really seem like they're making much sense. Innistrad Remastered is the worst idea they've ever ever had for a remastered set. First of all, they just gave us Lord of, Liliana of the Veil. Secondly, the card is barely played. Uh, Snapcaster Mage has also been knocked out of Modern and isn't relevant particularly. Like, You can play it in ADH, but it's not super relevant there either. And there's not much that has not already caught a reprint or multiple reprints that anybody would want from any of the Innistrad sets. Okay, so the top 10 cards from original... And Okay, go ahead. Hold on. And on the last set of Innistrad sets, which wasn't that long ago, they gave us double feature. So they already double printed the last set. Right. So what's left? Like, it, to, if they're going to print stuff like this, and the argument is we are actually going to create a fully reinvented... Ravnica draft or a fully reinvented Innistrad draft and the drafting environment is amazing then print it only to the level that supports the drafting like basically make it so you can get access to these boxes to draft for about a month and then after that it's gone make it a truly limited release so that it doesn't impact the singles all that much but does get expensive down the road and let the players and or vendors make some money because people decided actually is the best version of Innistrad Draft. Because that's the conclusion you want the market to come to if you're tabling these things on the basis of their draft potential. Right. And that's just not where we're at. I mean, we saw that Dominaria Remastered this winter was definitely overprinted versus demand, despite having tons of good cards in it and cool treatments and new art. It's still probably should have been printed like 30 to 40% less. Because so the, re- the problem is that if you're if you're setting up a reprint set every summer anyway, doubling up and doing one in the winter as well is just setting the pace that everybody is complaining about. So there's been three blocks of Innistrad, right? There's original Innistrad, there's Shadows, and then we had the Midnight Hunt and uh, Crimson, Crimson Val. Val. Like you said, there was already a double tap on the the most recent one because of double feature. In original Innistrad block, the top, the only cards that are currently listed as uh, $10 or more uh, have almost all had reprints. And the only one that hasn't is one we've harped about endlessly is, uh, it, it has had a judge reprint, I guess, is the Parallel Lives. So in original block, it's Cavernous Souls, Parallel Lives, Avacyn, Angel of Hope, Crater Hoof, Exquisite Blood, Balefire, Liliana the Veil, Micaeus just got tapped. Um, Snapcaster Mage, Gisela, and then Bloodline Keeper. All been reprinted plenty of times. Now, you know, some of these have kept their value nicely, but, you know, they're they're down from some real highs, and I don't... 
think they're going to be able to get much. Shadows over Innistrad block. Uh, I'll let you pick the... I'll give you the first one, which is Imrakul, the Promised End, another card that is somehow avoided reprints and would probably headline it because it's up there in the $80 range. But there are two other cards at $10 or more currently, according to TCG Mid. <laughs> yeah, not an ideal situation. They also told us that the big premium release for 2025 is going to be Final Fantasy, which is pretty interesting for a couple of reasons. A, Final Fantasy TCG had a long run. I don't know if they're still publishing or not, but the they lasted basically almost, I think, almost a decade. Uh, and I'm not, I have to double check if they're ongoing. It's also interesting because Amano's Liliana out of War of the Spark was one of the more expensive cards in modern Magic history. You can still copies of that, depending on the exact version, are $1,500 to $4,000 or so. And if they get Amano to do the premium cards for the Final Fantasy set, that could be a pretty big deal. I mean, the amount of money you would throw at the artist is worth it. I mean, like, we, we know what this car what this artist is capable of doing with the crossover appeal between magic players and final fantasy players and it doesn't matter that we're talking somebody who hasn't made the actual video game character art you know we're talking about somebody who's iconic for a large group of people with a lot of money to spend and if they can get on a mono schedule and throw whatever necessary amount of money they should do it the other stuff that they revealed for 2026 now, so we're talking, you know, the third year of discussion here. We're going back to Strixhaven. I don't think that was particularly well received. Don't think that's the greatest idea. And and then uh, apparently there's going to be a set code named Ziplining, where they basically told us nothing. They just said it's going to be the conclusion of this three-year arc that is being represented in the storytelling that starts here in Wilds of Eldraine. So yeah, they've got a, a big, big year planned, and this doesn't. This is only the big sets we're talking about here. We don't have anything more about. Uh, we know there's going to be a Final Fantasy crossover. We know there's going to be a, a Fallout set of Commander decks, at least. We don't know anything about Secret Layers or anything like that. So this is just which is which sets. is normal. We we, yeah. we don't usually get big, a lot of notice on Secret Layer stuff because I think they like to keep that flexible. Uh, moving right along, we can talk about. Uh, a big, the latest snafu in Wilds of Eldrine uh, spoilers. Apparently, somebody at Wizards sent the promo packs out to the vendor network, the LGS network, uh, for the Wizards Play network uh, early. And so the promo packs landed and vendors realizing that nobody had seen those cards yet and that all the rares and mythics from the set would be contained within, all just went ahead and started cracking them and posting pictures online. So now everybody's uh, assigned reveals are basically ruined, and they seem to be trying to clean that up with a reveal day tomorrow. By the time people listen to this, there will already have been a stream where they're going to show off a whole bunch of stuff because they realize that they need to accelerate the process, right. <laughs> given what happened. So we may as well go through some of the stuff that was shown off. All right, spoilers. If you don't like spoilers, you should stop. But like you said, they're probably all going to be officially revealed. They're all over the place yeah. anyway. So, And if you don't want to hear spoilers, you probably don't want to listen to the show. I know. 
A bunch of cards caught my eye. I like Asinine Antics for EDH. This is a mythic for two and two blue. Uh, for each creature your opponent's control, create a cursed roll token attached to that creature. So these are basically going to be token cards that you put under creatures, and it changes some of their properties. And each of the different named roll tokens does a different thing. The cursed roll token turns your creature into a 1-1. One, one doesn't seem like it takes its abilities away. It just makes it smaller. Right. It does not change its abilities. It only shrinks it. So that's not as good as something like a humility. But in blue, this does have the potential to just shrink, you know, 50 or 60 power away from the board and leave you with a lot less stuff to deal with. Like, an Eldrazi, a 1-1 one, one Eldrazi with Annihilator 2 or something is still a problem, but it's a relatively easily dealt with problem. <laughs> it's a solvable problem. Also, it's it's fun that you can cast this at, with Flash for two more mana. So for six mana, you can do this at instant speed. Yeah, you can really mess with people in the middle of combat if, if you've got the mana up. So there's, there's something there. I don't know if this is a occasional staple in edh or a, a you know medium high tier staple like i'm not sure if it's a five or a seven i'd have to play with it to to really get a sense for it and it's going to be better in some decks than others um i like this other one realm scorched scorcher Hellkite. four double red for a four six dragon it's got bargain which means you can sack an artifact enchantment or token as you cast the spell so it interacts well with the roll token assigning cards because those you know those are giving tokens out willy-nilly at very low cost. Um, certainly if you have tokens or a bunch of treasures that your deck creates, then Hellkite's going to do work accordingly. It's a 4-6 Flying Haste. When it enters the battlefield, if it was bargained, you add 4 mana and any combination of colors. So for instance, in the Ur-Dragon, you could be casting this <clears throat> for 2 mana uh, because you get 4 back that you can spend on something else. And then for 1 and a red, it deals 1 damage to any target which is a pretty useful pinging ability in a big mana deck. I mean, I've, I've got to be honest, I've taken Shiv and Hellkite in and out of the deck. It's a 7 mana with that ability, and it's a 5-5, five five, but it doesn't have haste, and it doesn't have the fun bargain. of bargain. So I think I would probably try the Realm Scorcher in the deck. It's just a very good dragon. You know, is it one of the top 50 of 40 or 50 dragons of all time? That's negotiable. There's some really good dragons out there. But this is very, very good. And certainly getting four of your mana back in order to double spell that turn, that does a lot of work. You know, if it came into play and just had two pings to give, you can. it's hard not to find something that needs to die with two toughness. So this will be a very good card. And I expected to see a lot, and it's a mythic, so there there won't be there'll be some some interesting constraints on it. So I'm I'm stoked about the couple of dragons we've seen. Expel the interlopers is the five mana sweeper du jour. They they tend to give us a new one of these pretty much every standard set. This one is you choose a number between zero and ten, destroy all creatures with power greater than or equal to the chosen number. So you can choose four, and everything four or greater goes away. This is best, obviously, in token decks or control decks where you don't particularly care about having much of a board presence. It's fine. You you have other options that are either cheaper or more comprehensive. You know, you can get Wrath of God for four mana. You can get Farewell for six. 
so I'm not sure how much of a role this has to play. I'm I'm pretty pretty low on sweepers in general unless they are top top tier like a like meat a hook massacre etc. Yeah. This is Your super referral. neat for uh, cards that are for decks that are playing Arcady Sabbath, the Defender decks, because you choose like one or two. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to save all your walls and destroy all their stuff. I do like a one-sided Wrath, but that's probably the only spot. What's the Abzan tree folk that also cares? Oh, Doran. Doran, yeah. Doran, yeah. Uh, probably one of the more powerful cards I saw was Beseech the Mirror, a, a black mythic tutor variant, which is one triple black. It also has Bargain. You search your library for a card, exile it face down, then shuffle. If the spell was bargained, you can cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. If that spell's mana value was four or less, put the exiled card into your hand if it wasn't cast this way. So it's either a very expensive tutor, or in the ideal case, you sack a treasure or a clue token or one of the uh, creature tokens, and you go get a four or less thing for free and cast it immediately, which is pretty... Pretty solid for four mana. Yeah, like it's it's four mana. You get to play a four mana spell from your deck. It is triple black, so it's not super easy. But the fact that this, like I'm going to play this card in Ayara, I know for a fact. But I was wondering if there was shenanigans about why it's getting exiled face down. And I realize it's because they can't say put it into your hand and then cast it. That's just a mechanic that won't work out. So there's nothing crazy going yeah, on. Yeah, because with- there would be debates of... Yeah. Potential for judge calls over whether or not the card you played was actually the one you drew. Right. So that, that's uh, what's especially given on. that magic players all reflexively flick and rearrange their cards. We're terrible people. But this is this is um, deceptively good. Yes. Because for four mana, you're getting demonic tutor plus the four mana max to cast. So you're getting six mana of value for four. So you're getting mana advantage in black with card selection staple to it, and you all you you have to do is sack something that's probably going to be something like a creature token or a treasure token or it could be a recursive creature in black and i can see this seeing standard play for sure and i think an argument can be made to play this in plenty of edh decks that want to sack things anyway yes and we have plenty of those that want to do that this i can't imagine you'd leave this out of a corvold deck would you seems good there you have plenty of I'm gonna have plenty tokens of, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I have plenty of treasure. Yeah. Triple black's a little bit of a stretch there, but not a lot, depending on how your how good your mana base is. Uh, I like Decadent Dragon oh, as yeah. a really solid-looking mid-range card for at least standard. Probably fine in, in Commander if you're building six or seven tier decks. It's a 4-4 four, for four, four. It's just good to have mid-tier dragons if you want dragons on this curve. This is three mana in the Ur-Dragon. Come on, man. What do you want? That's also good. Uh, Flying Trample, whenever it attacks, you create a treasure. That's nice. There are there are dragons that do better. You know, Ancient Copper Dragon for a little more. A little more. That's two whole two mana more, man. Come on. Yeah, but then it makes ten. Yeah, but it makes ten on average. Sure. Uh, if it hits. But this thing also has an adventure. Expensive taste. Two and a black. Exile the top two cards of target opponent's library face down. You may look at and play those cards for as long as they remained exiled. That is deceptively good as well because it's not the usual clause we see on the red cards these days is you get to play them until end of turn or you get to play them until the end of your next turn this one is in black but lets you just play them forever and it doesn't it doesn't matter whether the dragon ever makes it into play whether it stays in play that has nothing to do with it it's not an ability on the dragon itself it becomes a quality a feature of the cards that were exiled so it's kind of like you draw two for three off somebody's deck where you think that'll be relevant 
And if one of them is a land, you can just play that immediately if you haven't done so already. And then you're getting a solid dragon on the backside. Yeah, there's, again, nothing bad about this. It's all upside. We've seen, what's the blue-black card that saw some standard play? It had flashback where you get to look at the top two cards of the other player's library and then exile one, you can cast that later. We've seen versions of this, and it's an instant. You know, that's always a fun extra bit. But like you said, you get to play these cards. So a land is not a miss. You will get there. And you get to have your extra two cards. And you'll also have a dragon exiled. You can't be forced to discard any of these three cards. They're just there and waiting for you whenever you want to do. This is just solid all around. And like you said, very good uh, mid-range. This goes right into Prosper really well. It does two things that Prosper really wants to do. Oh, yeah. So. It's, it's also really cute if your opponents cast, like, Scheming Symmetry or something, and they put a sure. card on top. That's hot. Because you because it's instant speed, so you can go ahead and steal that card and use it yourself. Presumably, it's going to be a good one, and your value is going to be increased. I would be the one casting Scheming Symmetry into this, yes. A, a very similar-looking card that I think probably has legs in at least standard because it looks pretty pushed, is Questing Druid. Uh, it's like Quirion Dryad, but with upside. One and a green for a 1-1. One, one. Whenever you cast a spell that's white, blue, black, or red, put a plus one, plus one counter on this. That's what we saw on Dryad back in the day. And then it has the Adventure Seek the Beast, which is exile the top two cards of your library until your next end step, you may play those cards. So Seek the Beast fuels the spells you might cast to in to buff the questing druid setting it up to be attacking as a three three four four five five and it looks to me like it wants to be in a low slung green red aggro deck that's just slinging spells left and right this is also a third card that does the see there's this is now the third version of this that will show up for that uh pia nalar deck that we see the last couple of weeks that just wants to cast stuff from exile and make thopters all over the place. That deck isn't running any green, but it is also running, you know, eight cards that have basically seek the beast on there. So this is just upside all the way. If you draw multiples, that's great. If you got just the one kick, butt. they showed off spellbook vendor that I'm uh, flagging mostly because it's a different role token. This one is the sorcerer role token, which means that, Enchanted creature gets plus one plus one and has whenever this creature attacks, scry one. One of the things to know about roll tokens is if a creature already has a roll token and you have to put a roll token on a creature, but you only have one creature in play, then you have to replace the roll token. Yeah, so if somebody casts Asinine Antics and puts a cursed roll on your creature, then if you later play, or you even have Spellbook Vendor, you at the beginning of combat on your turn, you pay one, create a sorcerer roll token, that will remove the cursed roll that they put on it and then give your guy plus one, plus one, and now attack prescribe one. That seems legit. There's going to be some interesting ebb and flow in the limited format on that basis where they make your guy smaller, then you make it bigger, then they make it smaller, then you make it do yeah. something else. That's going to be a unique pattern that we haven't seen before in limited. So the, that sounds like they're onto something. Uh, so this is a Vigilance 2-2. Two, two. It's a rare one and a white. At the beginning of combat on your turn, some you pay one if if you do uh, something gets a Sorcerer roll token. Seems like a very good limited card. Uh, unclear to me whether that's that's playable in standard. They showed us Lord Skitter, Sewer King, two and a black, three, three. 
Rat Noble, whenever another rat enters the battlefield under your control, exile up to one target card from an opponent's graveyard. At the beginning of combat in your turn, create a 1-1 black rat creature token with this creature can't block. I'm sure people are going to run out buying rat specs thinking this is going to be the hot new commander, but I just don't see it. This is not a good enough commander. Yeah, that's As not... much as it f- it fits in the other rat decks, but this th- I would not lead the deck with this. I would put this into my rat ninja deck whose name... Bone Marrow? No. Marrow That's his name. I would put this in the Marrow deck because it makes a rat every turn and we want just as many rats as we can get. So yes, I'm I'm for it in the commander deck, but I don't I don't see it being the commander. We saw a charming scoundrel, which again looks like it's designated for standard play. One in a red for a one-one human rogue with haste. When it enters the battlefield, either you discard a card and draw a card, create a treasure token, or create a wicked rule token attached to target creature you control. It looks innocuous, but this is the kind of card that has the flexibility to make sure you make it into the mid game and do what you're supposed to be doing. Wicked Roll is which one again? Oh, it gets plus one, plus one. And when the roll is put into a graveyard, each opponent loses a life. So it comes into play. It's a 2-2 haste if you want it. Or it's a 1-1 haste with a discard, then draw. Or 1-1 haste with a treasure. That seems pretty flexible and useful all over the place. They also showed us Imodane the Pyrohammer, which looks pretty fun for, as an EDH commander. Two and two red for a 4-4 human knight. Uh, whenever an instant or sorcery spell you control that targets only a single creature deals damage to that creature, Imodane deals that much damage to each opponent. Bolt your bird, deal three to three people. Seems totally fine. Yeah, that's going to be some hotness. You you want a lot of choice. You have a lot of choices if you want to play some red damage spells if you want to give your stuff lifelink or whatever you can play uh red white but this is just brutal you either have it in the i think this would be really great as a commander or in the 99 as well just like you said the the ability to flame slash something deal 12 is just ridiculous and i can't wait to see what people build around this card well and should have people looking at things like obosh or Fiery Emancipation, Furnace of Wrath. Does that does fiery does does that work? It does it deal double and then it gets doubled again? Is that how yeah, that would work? So. Well, that'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah, and there's the the triple damage one is Fiery Emancipation, if I'm right. not mistaken. So then your bolt deals nine to the bird, and then deals twenty seven to each of your opponents. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when you giggle Sounds... like that, man. It scares me. <laughs> that's that, that's gear that's gear shenanigans. That is. All right. So they also showed us Feral Encounter, an interesting looking green sorcery. Uh, it's a lot of value on one card. Two green. Look at the top five cards of your library. You can exile a creature card. Put the rest on the bottom, random order. You can cast the exiled card. So you still have ma- need to have mana to do that. At the beginning of the next combat phase this turn, target creature you control deals con- damage equal to its power to up to one target creature you don't control. So you get a punch and card selection for two mana. And if your deck is low slung enough, you're also casting that that card to set up the punch. You have to play it this turn, right? Yeah, you have to play it this turn. I, I could see a questing druid feral encounter deck in standard. I can see feral... Your, like you said, your floor is two mana for a punch. And that's not ideal, but if you've got the mana to play another card alongside it, then you're glorious. You know, you got play your two drop and get a punch. Now you're talking. 
They showed us Heart Flame Duelist. This is a Brazen Borrower, uh, Murderous Rider-esque card, in my estimation. It's a one and a white for a 3-1 human knight. It has an adventure called Heart Flame Slash. That's an instant. Two and a red to do three to anything. And then the front side of the card is instant. Well, the main part of the card is instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink. So you have one. Of, you cast one of these for three. It's expensive, but you killed something. Then you play this as a creature. It's a 3-1. And the next Heart Flame Slash out of your hand or other red card is going to gain you life while it's killing something. Seems There's, there's some potential legit. there. Yeah. I like it. These these can't be too <clears throat> bad. You've got two mana for a 3-1 that gives all your stuff, your instants and sorceries lifelink. Plus, you've got the three mana deal three to any target. You know, to the face, sure. Especially if you're gaining the life. They look. They gave us Thunderous Debut, which of which you know there are six or seven or eight or nine or fifteen cards that do similar things. Big expensive green spells that go get creatures. This one's pretty solid. Like eight mana bargain. You're gonna you gotta sack something that's a little harder in green than it would be in some other colors. You look at the top twenty. You can put two creatures into play if you bargained. If if not, you put them in your hand. But you probably are bargaining if you're bothering to play the card at all. And Two creatures out of your top 20 straight into play <laughs> might just win you the game, depending on how nasty your decks build in EDH. Man, I just got a Last March of the Ents for the Ur-Dragon, and now I'm like, oh man, is my giant green GG spell going to get replaced? Like This is so good. I Like you said, I can't imagine not bargaining this. Eight mana to draw two sweet creatures is... Not where I want to be, I think, but eight mana to put the top two of my top 20 sweet creatures into play. Sign me up. We we play against a Kibo player in our pod with the Pro Traders quite often, and the Kibo player has to think more about giving us bananas if you're playing this card. Right, right. I love it. Uh, they, sh- they also showed us what, it, what probably looks like the most likely EDH super staple in the set, Stroke of Midnight. Two and a white instant, destroy target non-land permanent. Its controller creates a 1-1 white human creature token. So this is basically uh, Generous Gift or... Beast Within. Beast Within. But instead of giving them a 3-3, you only give them a 1-1, but you can't target lands. You can't target lands. And it's nice to be able to kill a land when you need to kill that stupid Cabal Coffers or the... Gaia's Cradle. Cradle. what it, or whatever you name it and and this and that's absolutely true like that flexibility is valuable but as i was explaining to the pro traders like i've played i don't know well over 150 commander games this year and the number of times that i've aimed a generous gift style card at a land instead of the most the most problematic artifact creature enchantment artifact or commander on or planeswalker on the table is very low like yeah, right. if I see a coffers and the black player is about to kill us with some huge torment of hailfire or something, then yeah, I'm going to go after the coffers. But you also tend to have like wasteland or strip mine or something else to deal with that uh, field of ruin, etc. And so that flexibility is nice, but giving them a one-one instead of a three-three can matter as well because sometimes you're doing that into a situation after a board state where somebody recasts the person that has the cheapest access to a commander recasts after a sweeper. And you don't really want to leave them with a 3-3 that they can hit you with multiple times. So it's not strictly better than the other two, but it's probably going to see about as much play. I think 
that some of the uh, I agree that Stroke of Midnight is going to be a staple all over the place, and we're it's a it's got a promo version, so there's going to be a chance to get in on those. I'm looking forward for a chance to hopefully get them cheap before they the promos get expensive. But we'll see if we get other promo versions of this same card. If there if there's wide distribution on the promos, they could stay cheap for a long good long time. It's only really uncommon. Could. Uh, I. I really like Raging Battle Mouse. This one in a red, two one. The second spell you cast each turn costs one less to cast, so you can drop this and then another two drop, if on turn three, and you're just gonna keep getting good stuff happening after that. Like that kind of thing, really. It does stack too. So if you happen to go Raging Battle Mouse into Raging Battle Mouse, then the next turn you're just gonna cast something for two mana less. Well. It what it wants to do is set up a Naya adventure deck in standard with Heart Flame Duelist, Raging Battle Mouse, sure. the Questing Druid, etc. Because all those cards that have can be cast twice. You know, if you cast the the Seek the Beast on the Druid and then the Druid, it only costs you three mana total if you've got a mouse out. It's pretty hot. So yeah, I can see there being a deck there. The other like adventure card that looks great is Mosswood Dread Knight. It's a 3-2 for one and a green, Human Knight. Uh, Dread Whispers is the adventure. Sorcery speed, you draw a card and lose a life. But it's a 3-2 Trample, and if it dies, you can cast it from your graveyard as an adventure until the end of your next turn. And so I think the first time you likely just play this as a 3-2, mm-hmm. get to attacking, the mid-range or control deck you're facing off against kills it. You recast it as an adventurer, draw a card, lose a life, and fuel up for additional pressure. That just seems solid. And eventually you might have a, a turn cycle where you don't have any room to do that and you have to let one, you know, lay to rest in the yard, as it were. But you probably find another copy by that point and just keep fooling around. I mean, it's hard to argue with a 2-mana three, 3-2 trample. That's already quite good. I think that having the ability to recur this is also pretty amazing. And we've seen... Some cards with this ability, uh, what's the, the Blitz card that can come back over and over? The Not a gladiator, like a fighter. Tenacious Underdog. Tenacious Underdog, thank you. So that guy, we've seen that sometimes these cards are very good, and I think this one is going to be an example. Are you ready to talk uh, about the commander for adventures? Go for it. All right, Baluna Grand Squall is teamer colors so we're talking green blue red no white sadly it's a 4-4 giant noble it has trample permanent spells you cast that have an adventure cost one less to cast so it doesn't matter if you cast the adventure first you're just getting your thing for one mana less but there's also an adventure on this card so it's seek thrills two and then the same colors uh green blue black green blue red mill seven cards Put all cards with an, that have an adventure from among the milled cards into your hand. So you're going to mill the seven and basically anything good. You're probably going to get, if you built it right, probably around two cards would be my guess. Maybe three. But that seems really good. And then I'd have to check with the commander rulings. But if you... I know that commander ninjutsu is always the same cost. If I am casting Seek Thrills over and over, does that go up in price? No. All right. So then, but you, I don't think you. I don't think you can cast it from your from the yard. I mean, from the command zone, though. 
I don't actually know what I'm looking forward to the clarification on this. Because if, if you can always cast it for the same uh, cost, then you get to cast the, the actual uh, creature for three mana all the time, too. Yeah, that's certainly worth checking because that, that seems weird. But if you can do that, then yeah, that's pretty good. The The other thing is I'm wondering whether there's just a Baluna Grand Squall standard deck. Like... Is, is it a three to five color deck with all of these cool adventure creatures and and this thing's just going to be a four of in standard? I mean, you'd need a really good mana base. I'm not sure the mana base is ready for Teamer consistently on turn three. And that's really what you want to have. But we'll in part, out. this will depend on, on what kind of one and two casting cost mana creatures we get. Yeah. This would be great with the uh, Halfling, though, with the, the, the one from Lord of the Rings, sadly. The only other card I wanted to flag is a rare. Probably doesn't have a huge financial relevance, but I think it will see some EDH play. Hilda's Crown of Winter. Three, it's basically a new and improved Icy Manipulator. It's three casting cost legendary artifact. One tap a creature, just like Icy. But it costs one less to activate if it's on your turn. So it's just tap a creature. Tap, tap a creature. And it doesn't, yeah. doesn't, doesn't have to be an opponent's creature. So for instance, in my... Uh, St. Trap deck in EDH. I, I want to tap and untap St. Trap multiple times per turn. So having a Maze of Ith-like ability that I can use on my commander or on a threat is going to be pretty handy. I will definitely try this out. And then for three, I can sack Crown of Winter and draw a card for each tapped creature your opponents control. That's a lot better than Icy Manipulator. Because <laughs> sometimes Icy's, like the ability to tap one thing down doesn't matter when your opponent has flooded the board and they're attacking you with like five dragons at a cliff stack or something. <laughs> but it, but if you're trying to find a sweeper to deal with that situation and your opponents have just attacked each other and they have nine things tapped, they have to now think about whether they want to be tapped out like that and let you draw a full mitt. Yeah, there's a lot going on with this card. It's clearly an upgrade over Icy. I think Icy has ended up tapping non-creatures like less than 5% of its life. But this has got the upside. It seems really good. Hard to argue. The other thing is that you would normally expect that second ability to say, uh, do this only as a sorcery. Right. But it does not. So you, if they swing with five things and you have the mana open but don't have the reactive spell that you want, you get to react before blockers and draw the cards. Oh, there's my path to exile. Okay, take care of oh, your right. biggest Whew. thing. Man, I drew into what I needed. It's good to yep. live in good life. So I think I think because it's colorless, not a single mana symbol anywhere on it, Hilda's Crown of Winter could could be a serious commander stable. I could there's, do there's that. Very f- there's very few cards that do this thing, that have like combo slash maze slash card draw. It's it, it's it has a similar design principle to the one ring in the way like the one ring protects you from damage and targeting for a turn and then starts drawing you a bunch of cards. And this on a smaller scale handles threats or sets up combos and then draws some cards. But you get them all at once and at instant speed. Right. It I see what you're saying. I think the one ring comparison is a bit strong, but I see what you're what you're going for there. But I'm by no means saying this is better than the one ring or I, I, as equivalent no, I, to. I'm just saying that the the idea behind it where you kind of staple. Right. You put two, two good things together. That haven't really been seen in that way. Like the one ring is a very unique card versus a lot of the available alternatives. And so is the crown. 
I wanted to say that the enemy land, the enemy creature lands that they're giving us are really good cards. Uh, we saw Restless Fortress when they originally previewed it, but the red-white version becomes a 2-2, and whenever it attacks, you put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control. That seems really good. The Restless Spire, the blue-red one, turns into a 2-1 as long as it's your turn, it's first strike. Whenever it attacks, you scry one. That's okay if you've cleared the board with your red-blue spells deck. The green-blue one is three green-blue. It turns into a 5-5 green and blue plant creature. But when it attacks, one other target creature has base power and toughness 3-3 until end of turn. Just in case they had a blocker, you can make it much smaller than your attacker. which it, And that's an option. You can grow one of your other attacking creatures. You know, True. Yeah, there's a lot of play value there. So I'm really impressed with this cycle. Uh, we haven't seen the fifth one yet, but... I'm sure it is good, and these these this cycle is a very powerful one. Uh, we might even see plenty of these in Commander. I see evidence of a lot of clever design work here, a lot of subtle design work here, and I'm interested to see how the rest of this set plays out, because we haven't seen absolutely everything from it. Not everything has been spoiled. Um Although I think there are still images lurking in deeper corners of the internet. the a lot, Some more of this will be revealed tomorrow. We'll be talking about whatever else has been shown off this week next week. And in the meantime, where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online on Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you guys can find me on Twitter at mggcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mggprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. So much to do, James, and so much more coming for next week. I can't wait. Thank you, Cliff. Thank all of you for listening, and we will see you all next week for another episode of MTG Fast Finance with a continuation of our analysis of Wilds of Eldraine.